I, I would say when a couple gets a dog, it's like they're doing the A-level before they get the degree of baby. So are you ready to go dog? And some couples aren't ready for that, so they have to go cat. And there is foundation courses in hamster and fish. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Walking the Dog. I'm Emily Dean, and this is episode four of my podcast for The Times. Thanks for all your comments and ratings on iTunes. It's so lovely to hear your feedback. And please keep them coming. And don't forget to subscribe. So this week, I travelled up to Manchester, and I went out for a local walk with comedian Russell Kane and his pug Colin who is super clever, lovely looking, and has a really sweet little nature. Has anyone got his number, in fact? Lindsay, do I need my phone with me? What do you think? Well, I'm only living here one day, and I've got no sense of direction. Let's go, Colin. Ross. Wait. So we're heading out of the door. We're going on a walk with Colin the pug and Russell Kane, his See, this father. Is, this is where the first thing where you go wrong with dogs, you exit first, you're the pack leader. Is go. that right? Ross, we should say we're in your brand new home. I, I've been here 24 hours. So the, we completed on the house about a week ago and we've had just some bookshelves and stuff put in. So Lindsay moved up on Saturday. What's Monday, today? Yeah. Right, so that was two days ago and I was gigging, obviously working on Saturday, mm. as you do the day you're moving. Yeah. So I got, I got here early hours of Sunday morning and I've just, all I wanted to do was complete that library room. So, You've so got I, an amazing library, yeah. yeah. I just want to establish where we are geographically. We're in, you're in a Wimsler, coast. Yeah, it's like a really... It's an estate. It feels never, like LA. I never thought it would happen to me, but I'm on an actual Jones's, a Jones's housing estate. Jones's are like um, the posh version of Barrett. Oh, really? And they make just really nice four or five bedroom family homes. And the reason we've ended up in Wimslow, Cheshire, is A, it's actually it's known as the Golden Triangle. I've gone from the Golden Triangle of Essex of Loughton um, Chigwell on Buckhurst Hill to the Golden Triangle of Cheshire, which is Audley You're Edge. all about the Golden Look at that big dog, Ross. I know. What's that? That looks like a big white chow chow or something, or some Siberian husky is immediately in front of us. And, and the reality is my, my mum does her best, but it's just my mum down south. Right. And what we never could have foreseen when we set ourselves up in Woodford was... Uh, is this you and Lindsay? Yeah. yeah. Once the baby's born, because I'm away three, four nights a week, Lindsay's just sat there on her own. Yeah. It's very isolating, whereas up here, you throw the baby in the air and a cousin or an aunt or a second cousin or people just can't do enough. And for she's it. a Mancunian as well, isn't she, Lindsay? So yeah. her family are around her. Yeah. That's the thing people don't realise about comics, is that it is like having a partner working on an oil rig. It is. Because you're is. basically away for three yeah. quarters of the year, aren't you? Yeah, this is the longest tour I've ever done. It's the most tickets I've ever done, which is insane because it's the least comedy I've ever done on TV. So you go and tell me that the, new, the old model of stand-up works where you sort of appear on QI and then sell 300. Colin, shh, shh. even the last tour I did before this one, Smallness, you did the Royal Variety, you did Live at the Apollo, we were like, yes, that's my London run, sold out sort of thing. Now, unless you are doing everything all the time, it seems to be hard to guarantee that TV will drive your theatre sales. There's two types of stand-up in my experience. There's a stand-up who just loves being on TV and loves the whole lifestyle as well as doing stand-up. And there's those of us who, if we could get away with no one knowing our face, but we could feel the O2, we'd do it. Really? Well, I'm one of those, like a Lee Evans type stand-up. All I care about is the theatre and being on stage and making people laugh. Is live comedy the best thing for you? Yeah. I think you would happily just do that? If I, yeah, if I could do the numbers, yeah. I think a couple of years ago I was, I was doing TV for TV's sake. Now, when I do TV, 
as soon as I get something commissioned, I am like full Schofield in the gallery up at 6am. <laughs> I love it. I love every minute of it. But the end purpose isn't fame. The end purpose, or even notoriety, the end purpose is bums on seats in theatres. That doesn't mean because I Because you like comedy or because I you just, like making people laugh? I just think that's my calling is to stay. So Colin's just um, doing what he does. Is he having a poo? Well, I'm letting him stop, but really, if on a walk, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stop. You Why? Because you're the leader, you just... I'm noticing... But I wouldn't let him off the lead here just because of the cars and stuff. I don't, okay. Plus, I don't know this walk. We should just say about Colin, I really noticed back there that you approach having a dog to... How you seem... From what I know of you, you seem to approach life in that way, which is you want to, you're constantly learning. You know, you think I'm going to find out everything I need to find out about this subject. Before Colin came along, and Colin is, I, I have got a dog by another woman, so it's very understanding for Lindsay to take that dog on. What do you mean, are you bought it with someone I else? I got it with another girlfriend, yeah. She, uh, that, my ex-girlfriend went missing at the time when I got my patio done. <laughs> I would not have got custody of Colin if my ex had been able to take him, but her setup at the time was she was moving back in with her parents and she couldn't take him. Right. I was all, I was all up for doing the, the gentlemanly thing and letting the girl take the dog, um, but she just simply couldn't. And at the time, I was on my own, doing a tour on my own, single for the first time in my life. I'd had solid girlfriends from the age of 16. I mean, you were married as well for a long time, weren't you? No, not a long time, for oh, 10 yeah. months. Okay. Probably in your world, that's oh. ages, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were married for like 10 months, you loser. What I've discovered, the older I get, and that's what this whole show is about. Yeah, is that the tour that you're doing, the life that you're doing. Unfortunately, maturity and growing up is not pegged to number. So some people at 22 are completely mature, they're ready to have four kids and settle down. Some people aren't like that till they're 52. And you don't seem to really get a say in when that happens. When Sadie and I got married, we thought because our numerical age suggested we should, and we've been together four years, let's get married. But of course, as soon as we put rings on each other's fingers, we were like... Do you think it changed the relationship? I don't think it changed it. I think it was like turning a light up on the relationship. We don't speak now again. We send each other little messages about work. There's no bad blood there between me and Sadie at all. But the girlfriend after that was Charlotte. That's yeah. who I got the dog with. Yeah. And then when I split from Charlotte, I was single for the first time ever. So you can imagine poor Colin. I'm single for the first time ever. I'm doing a tour. I'm living in London on my own. But it was really hard juggling with a dog and two cats. And all the women. And all the women. Not did that you, many Did you go me. through a filling your boots? Yes. Period. Only I, how, did you, how did you find that? I never really got boot sized because I was only <laughs> single for about 10 months. So it, it was definitely an ankle trainer. <laughs> And how did you find that? I mean, obviously it was very nice. Dis 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 disappointingly e easy. So what happened was... What do you mean disappointingly easy? Uh, so my mum has just has got sick over the years. I make a joke that she's got um, a photo frame on her shelf and it's so thick at the back because I've got my arm around yet another girl who's definitely the one. So I'm serial monogamist. Unlike I'm like probably more of your female friends than your male friends. As a rule, when you're in your 20s, lads go on lads' holidays and bang themselves centres and get out of the system. I never did that. Whoever I slept with, I would fall in love with, no matter how inappropriate or ill-matched we were. I think the longest I was ever single was about a month. So it's obviously got some issues there, not to do with sex, but to do with emotional commitment, because I would just be like, I love you, after a week. And they weren't short relationships either. They were always at least two, three years. What's that, a sort of wanting to be needed thing? I don't, 
I, I, I honestly don't know because I'm very, very independent. But if you think most stand-ups want to be needed on some level, yeah. they must be. I think I just, I don't know. I just, I like the, I just like having a girlfriend. But what's happening was, where I'd never been single, and then I started to get appear on TV and on stage. I had female in most for most guys who aren't like man whores. It's not really a problem. Girls, as a rule, don't come up and throw themselves at you in everyday life. It just doesn't happen to most to most but blokes. When you're on telly, that changes. It changed. So, for the first time in my life, I had female attention, and because I'd never been single, I'm sure girls have the same level of curiosity. I could. That was all getting mixed up in my head. So when I split up with Charlotte, my mum was like, "You have to have a year on your own this time, or you're yeah. just going to fuck up another girl's life by getting into something you're not ready for." And it, you know, it was it was upsetting when I split up with um, that particular girlfriend because she really liked me, and the reality was I just got into the relationship too quickly, and I felt. And you ran over your head. I still, I still feel bad about that one. We weren't living together or anything. That's it's my shortest ever relationship, nine months. Right. <laughs> and um, but. But sometimes, as you say, it's not duration; it's just the intensity. And to me, you know, playing devil's advocate, if someone had brought a dog with me, I think they're in for the long haul. Yeah, that's it. Is that fair enough? Fair enough, but at the same time, most of my male friends would have stuck their head in the sand and started cheating. I've yeah. never, touched wood, ever cheated on a girlfriend. So I, I just thought, better to be honest, rip the plaster off, say my emotions aren't where they should be, we need to split up. I'm surely that's got to be better for a woman than stringing her along for another six months because you've got a dog together and you feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so would I was say just, that's I was just honest. Enough. I was honest. Did you tell her to her face? Of course. Good boy. And um, so anyway, so th then I was single for a year and like I said, it was, just a, it was just, there was no chatting up. You could go up into a nightclub and say, are you single, is your boyfriend here? Do you want to come back to mine? That'll be it, done in five minutes. We should just say there's another, what dog is that? Can you identify it? Is this a potential? I would say that looks like a Shih Tzu with its fur okay. shorn, but I could be he's wrong. He's going to be a potential love match for Colin. Well, Colin's, in, Colin's a bit aggressive when he's on the lead. Hello. Hi there. Oh, that's a cute dog. Is that Hello. a shi Shih Tzu? Is that a Shih Tzu? Oh, Cavapoo. Oh, it's a Cavapoo. Oh. So that's a Cavalier and a toy. Cavalier and toy. Toy. Or uh, King Charles. They seem to be getting on Cavalier, well. Cavalier, King Charles and a, and a Poodle Cross. So that means you get the non-shedding fur, you see. Yeah, it's non-shedding. And what's the exercise level like that it needs? Uh, it's not that. It's not bothered? Uh, yeah, but he does. He, this is his second go today. So Colin will happily sit on the sofa for three days. <laughs> Where did this go all the way into town? Uh, this, if you follow this, the, uh, walk out no, I moved here a day ago, so it's my first walk oh, out. <laughs> yeah. Right, if you can follow it along, you'll come out by uh, a Ford dealership. Oh, brilliant. Turn right, uh, and then left up the hill and you're in town. Wicked. It'll take you about half an hour. Oh, brilliant. He's uh, <laughs> a pug, not very. We'll have to stop for a Ventolin. Thanks. Bye-bye, really nice to meet you. So anyway, so where we were, so, so there I, you were, I, having I, ended the relationship. Yeah, I went for it. Went, abruptly, but, but in a kind way, because you did the face-to-face. -face. Like my emotions aren't where they should yeah. be. We, weren't, we were getting near that stage where we were going to consider moving in together. Yeah. We weren't moving in together. We sort of got the dog together, but the dog was living with me and she was staying over. It was that sort of stuff. Right. So yeah, so then I was single, started shaking around. And then uh, Lindsay was just, sadly, just one of the girls in a long list. But I was just, I was thinking, I've got feelings for this girl. I'm bored with the behaviour, so let's just follow those feelings and see where they go. Next thing you know, married and here we are. And you met Lindsay, was she at one of your gigs? She was in the front row of one of my gigs. 
And what, tell me what happened. Did you spot her and think, aye, aye? Yeah, that's not an uncommon thing anyway, like pretty girl in the front row. So it wasn't like it was, it was, oh my God, there's a pretty girl at my gig. This, Eros, take your bow out of my heart. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was just basic lechery of a fitty in the front row. Let's not, let's not build it up. And, let's uh, not turn it into something romantic. sacred rather than the and it was, this was, it was, I was not, Anyway, this, and I'd literally just split up with this other girl at this point anyway, so my head wasn't in that space. But sat in the front row of my gig, it was a small warm-up gig, 300-seater, was Lindsay and her mum and dad. It was her dad who was a fan via this programme I used to do called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now. So he discovered, well, Yeah, I'm familiar with it. He'd, he'd discovered me on that. And then Lindsay was sat there with a, what looked like a fur jacket on her legs. Let's call it fake fur. Let's say fake. <laughs> and... Uh, me being a bit of an animal lover, I wasn't having that. Yeah. So I whipped the jacket off and started going, where are you from? And she's like, I'm from the Manchester area. And because she was posh in Northern, I then ripped the piss out of her for a good five minutes doing her like an Audrey voice. From yeah. <laughs> and I was just going, Minky, in her face and then threw her coat back at her. And that, then I did the show. I said to my tour manager afterwards, I bet I never see that girl again. She was so but, fit. So you didn't say to the tour manager, can you go and, you didn't do a sort of Tom it, Jones or a... Couldn't, the venue was... But it was one of those venues that as the show comes down, it, it was like a clubby type venue. And the venue emptied for I could send in my tour manager to do a lecce harvest. I love uh, a lecce harvest. <laughs> I thought, how am I going to find this girl? Don't know who she is. Didn't, didn't even get, get a name during the show. So I just tweeted one word. This is about a week later. I tweeted one word, not hashtags, didn't at the comedy club. Just messing around, really, not with, with no hope or aim. I just tweeted the word minky. If you look through my Twitter feed, you'll find it in 2011 or 12, which I can't remember the year. One of Lindsay's friends replied saying, I follow you on Twitter. Is this about my friend from the gig the other week? And I was like, is your friend brunette girl? She went, she's here on Twitter. And that's how I found Lindsay. And then did you, I believe that the young people call it slide into the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> did you slide into the DMs, Russ? I, I did. I, I started DMing that. Yeah. <laughs> and, Sorry, Russ, I just have to stop because that's an incredibly cute. Hi, I really like your dog. Hello, who's that? I think that's a little Shih Tzu, is it? That's a yeah. Shih Tzu. No way. Gently, Colin. Good boy. Hello. What lovely, what lovely dogs you've got. This is my pug, Colin. What's, your, what's these two dogs called? What's this dog? That's called Scala. Oh. This one's Jasmine. Jasmine. She was found in a dustbin. Really? Really? Oh. Well, at least you recycled her. <laughs> if something's found in a dustbin, it should always be recycled these days. Yes, so that's right. You've recycled love. <laughs> The best thing to recycle. I'm, I'm getting a Shih Tzu. Can you give me any advice about them? The yak. Do they? And uh, we always keep the coat short because it's a nightmare to look after. This one, for example, has got real small dog syndrome. She has no fear. No. She right. will attack anything if she thinks and feels it's so inclined. I you recognize know, that. Walk, well, I do. Dog, that's like me. She's yeah. not phased at all. You know, she chills. <laughs> So grooming dog. is a big deal. You've got to well, big deal. Well, well it's it. a big deal to me, as I hope you can see. Yeah. The coat is important to me. Yeah. But um, as I say, it's easier to keep them a bit short. Oh, it's really nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Yeah. They do grooming, do they? Yes. Yeah. The or else there's an excellent kennels, but um, they have to approve you. Oh, brilliant. Yes. I might be, okay. I might be coming to you for a recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. So see Colin on his 11 plus. I like them because I really feel she was slightly telling you off. I know, yeah, it's like, she said, I thought she was trying to imply Colin definitely wouldn't get approved. <laughs> we should talk a bit 
about how you got started in comedy and all that kind of stuff. Because yep. you didn't have, you didn't start in comedy, did you? No, I, I went straight from uni into a, an advertising agency. Um, I always wanted to write for a living. I wasn't keen on being on stage. I did it when I was younger, and then I sort of lost my courage when I got to about 15 and just thought, I want to write. I love writing stories. I love books. I love fiction. I just was shook with nerves at an audition. It's like, not like any rational, normal person being on stage is really scary. I think that's 99.9% .9 of people. If you pluck them off the high street now and took them through to a stage, they would shit liquid and tremble. That's just a normal human reaction. And I didn't like that sensation, so I thought, sod that. Um, I also was obsessed with the idea of writing stories and books and novels and if you can't, obviously you can't be a novelist for a living, but you could be a journalist or a copywriter, so I thought that's what I'm going to do. Got first person in my family to go to uni, decided to do a more vocational end to the degree, which took willpower because I wanted to finish with a flowery BA in English, mm. but I leapt across to the, the um, vocational writing element at the end because I knew it would lead to a job quicker. And then I was straight into an ad agency and I was in absolute heaven, sitting around on pink couches, coming up with concepts, doing lunch. It was, it was, I was, I'd become middle class. I, I had the flat in Clapham, two pedigree cats, dips in the fridge. I was doing headlines. I was working through the weekend. You know, my, I come from families of cleaners, manual laborers, you know, people, cousins that have been inside and all that. And, you know, I come from a, a council estate. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's my background. And I was living, living the dream. Mm. No interest in stand-up. I'd never been to see live stand-up. It wasn't part of my childhood. There are no stand-ups I used to watch and think were inspiring. Bored. And did you have that? There's normally a creative person somewhere in the family, isn't there, that you can trace back? Or did you have that? Not really. Or? Not that I know of. I was just the funny guy in the office. So when something happened, like everyone would be like, get Russell to tell it. That, that's how it started. And I... That's what I've been like at school. So without knowing it, I've been practicing my whole life, gathering people around me and making everyone crack up. But I wouldn't have thought about it in those terms at the time. I was just me. And uh, so we got these things. The, uh, the agency was quite a small agency. It was only 50 employees. And every Friday we'd have these, we'd have these roundups. And I would deliver like the agency news and they got funnier and funnier. And then I was best man at my friend's wedding and I smashed that. And someone said to me, why don't you just try stand up? Just try it. And I was like, because it bores me shitless, I've got no interest in it. I don't find, it makes me cringe when I watch a man trying to be funny on stage. And did you have comics that you grew up? Nothing. Sort of because, thinking, he's my idol. No, because in my house, it wasn't like, hey, what is it tonight, kids? Theatre? Stand-up? <laughs> it's like, take, Indian takeaway. Yeah, we'll bring some back for you. Are oh, you 16 now? Drugs over the park. There wasn't like a, a, a cultural thing. And it wasn't like I was from a poor family, but there were books in the house. Because right. uh, you get that, oh, there were no books in the house. I was just a freak. Attract was there a suspicion of that cultural world? Or was it just, it just not part of It was just a door world? That, that, that had been walked past without realizing then it was what there. Happens, where's the point at which you say, right, okay, no, I'm so, gonna... So the, what, like you speak to anyone, Russell Howard, they, they, would, they had an Eddie Murphy tape. They had something that they'd seen. All I had, my dad occasionally watched Jimmy Jones and Roy Chubby Brown on VHS. That was my only contact with what I knew as stand-up. And you've got to remember, Live at the Apollo with Jack D started, I think, 2003, 2004. So alternative hadn't become mainstream at this point. It yeah. wasn't on telly yet. I Honestly, not exaggerating this, I know stand-ups like to romanticise, but this is honestly what I did. I decided that night at home, I'm going to do it. I wrote down my five funniest stories that I would tell to people I'd just met 
So like at the time I was a sperm donor, I thought that was quite funny. So I'd always drop that in a pub that I'd donate. I was a sperm donor. So I thought, I'll tell that story. I'll tell the story living in my nan. Next day I went into work, Googled Stand Up Comedy London, and I said, I'm going to hit the first link and phone the first number and ask them if I can do stand up. That's what I did. Comedy Cafe came up first, clicked it, and I said, how do you do stand up if you're an amateur? How does it work? What did you say to the person saying, hello, Comedy Cafe? I said, I said I'm, a, I'm an aspiring stand up. How does it work? And he went, right, you come and do five minutes on a Wednesday and you're in luck because all the stand ups are in Edinburgh at the moment. I didn't have a clue what he meant. Sorry, Russ, we've come to a junction. What should we do? Where's the town centre? It's got to be there, right? Hang on, yeah. He said turn right at the Ford garage. He did. Didn't he? Oh, yeah, this is, is this garage. Did he garage? say turn right at the Ford? Russ, this is the garage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, right. Yeah, so here. it's right, okay. So go on. So then, so, so you've yeah. got, I'm going to, so you've rung up the comedy cafe. And he said all the comics are in Edinburgh. And I was like, what do you mean? In my mind, obviously I've, I've got a first class honours degree in the arts. How the hell had I got a first class honours degree in English and not known what the Edinburgh Festival was? In my back of my mind, the Edinburgh Festival was ballet, opera. I didn't realise the fringe was a separate thing. Never heard of it in my life. Didn't, didn't know Perrier Award, none of it. All foreign language to me. And he said, all the comedians are in Edinburgh. So I'm like Googling Edinburgh at the same time as I'm speaking to him. He went, I can get you on in two weeks. So in those two weeks, I went and watched stand-up three times for the first time. What other stand-ups? Just to see what they did and then, and then copy it. <laughs> Just copy really? how they took the microphone out the stand, I mean. I didn't have a clue. I did not have a clue. The first five minutes were okay and I got one laugh in the middle. And when that laugh hit, it reminded me of an advert I'd seen when I was about 12 that used to stop you taking heroin. And in the advert, you saw the needle go into the arm and the heroin go into the vein and the person go like that. That's what it felt like. It made me feel sick. It made me feel tired. It took over my life, but I was hooked. It completely up my whole life. Why? When I came back after that first gig into my office the next morning, having taken the ego aversion of heroin for the first time, it was just because of the nature of advertising, you know, you need to be available to work evenings, work weekends, you live the job, we're all one big team. I suddenly start disappearing three nights a week. Then I start going up to Manchester to do 20 minutes unpaid at the weekend. So desperate was I to re-experience the emotional heroin of people, strangers, laughing at me. And it got worse and worse. And I'd left. You keep using, it's interesting to me, you keep using negative words like worse and this is Time when this wise, terrible I was thing. Oh, I, was, I see. I was absolutely. But, it, but it actually, it's a really positive thing. Now it is. Yeah. But the time you've got to remember is I come from a background where you don't have debt, you save up. And I was like, I can't believe Russell's left college, got hired as a junior copywriter. And within 18 months, I was head copywriter in an ad agency. So I was earning more than anyone in my family had ever earned. Not from being a stockbroker or working for a petrochemical company, yeah. but through uh, using words and the arts. It's not easy to earn money in the arts. So for me to start not being dedicated, people are putting question marks over me. It almost feels like you're having an affair or something. And eventually, it was like you were cheating on your destiny. Did you right. feel that? When my mum was, it freaked my mum out. It freaked people who thought I should be bloody grateful and keep my head down. Why am I doing an X Factor disappear at my own ass thinking I'm going to be famous journey? Because 
It's only one in a hundred stand-ups that even gets any sort of career, probably less than that. But I couldn't help it. From a money point of view, I was living in this 200 grand flat, 100% mortgage at the time. That was back when you could get them. So mortgage payments weren't insignificant each month, a couple of grand a month. I think the most I could earn was two, 300 quid a week with stand-up at that point. So I saved a bit and just went for it. I left in March 2006, I left my job and I did my first Edinburgh show in the August. I thought, if I don't get nominated for the Perrier, newcomer, I'm gonna go back to work, if I did. <laughs> I got nominated every year till I won it. Some of your ideas are pretty complicated, you know, and it's complex stuff you're doing. But I think you sometimes sneak it in by stealth. And I think guys that come and see you, and, and women, who sort of think, oh, I love him, he's brilliant. He was on I'm a Celebrity and he was on the, you know. And they've seen you on something like that. And then they come in and you're discussing quite complex ideas about sexual politics and all that kind of stuff. But I do it in and, a simple way. Yeah, but I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because Yeah, because there are other stand-ups who remain nameless, who like to take simple things and talk about them in a complicated way. <laughs> and we're all supposed to be really impressed because they use the word onomatopoeia or something. Do you ever feel situations like, do you feel kind of chippy with posh people? Uh, not really. I quite, I've got a bit of an Evelyn War thing going on where I quite like being around posh people and want them to like me. Well, Evelyn War was your specialist subject on yeah. Celebrity Mastermind, well, he, which you won. He was already posh and he had that about the arist aristocracy, so he was going another class up sort of thing. Like, this is the town centre. Well, let's go for it's it. It's like a cute little town centre. Well, you know why I ask you that? Because I really thought you didn't like me when you first met me. Really? Yeah, and I met you in a working environment. I don't even remember. When was that? Well, this is so interesting, isn't it? How you project your own stuff onto situations. When you don't I, even remember. When was the first time? Well, I think we were doing a show together, yeah, a radio show. And I just really thought, oh my God, he hates me. He really? thinks I'm really stuck up. I don't hate and... anyone. And then... The only person I hate is Robert Mugabe and Hitler. <laughs> what you probably picked up on was lechery. <laughs> oh, I do you know hope the, so. That you know the way boys are slightly fun. horrible to people they fancy? Oh, well, that's great. That's the a, girls do it enough. That's a nice way of handling it. But no, the next time I saw you and I, and I worked with you and, I sat, and we, we sat down and we had a really nice chat and I realised... We really got on well, and I thought, no, we really get on. It's great. And weird, isn't it? Yeah, but isn't that interesting? Now I realise that was me just bringing some weird energy to that because I, and I think you probably just read Lady Chatterley's Lover or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll like, take you through to the potting shed, madam. You dirty bastard. Potting shed, never a potting shed. Um, but I want to talk to you about the Hoffman process as well. Yes, please. Because this is something we've both done. And we should say, would well, you want to explain it for anyone listening who doesn't know what the Hoffman process is? Well, it's hard to explain it properly without giving away details, which you're literally legally not allowed to We're do. We're not allowed to do, I know. To sign a form. But it's for everyone. It's for people whose lives are perfect. It's for people that have been on antidepressants their whole lives. And it's for everyone in between who might have a bit of OCD they can't shift. Uh, they might have a bit of depression that's nagging, but it's not, it's not killing their lives. Um, or they might be in a bad place. Or they might have a temper that's slightly too fiery, like I did. Or you might just want to go, like you would go to the gym for six weeks for a bit of self-improvement. There was every level of person. I think some of my friends were like, what is this? Is this a weird cult thing? Yeah. What are you doing? It's, group, it's basically group therapy. Yeah. Colin, sit, sit. Well done, you've done really well. And um, what's, your, what's unique? There's nothing unique in the ingredients, but it's the combination of the three ingredients together. It's teaching of like an actual course where you sit down and do charts and write stuff. There's the group therapy element where you'll sit in a circle and go, I feel your pain. And then 
the, un the unique thing they do is they combine that with a physical therapy as well, which sounds like complete American bullshit nonsense. I'm not going to describe what the physical therapy is, but I it, think it's safe it to say, if you go, if, if on this walk today, I slipped over and banged my leg, I am more likely to remember this walk than if I wasn't injured, for example. I'm not, so what I'm saying is there is a link between a physical sensation and memory, which I never ever thought before. So yeah. that means, say you, I don't know, this is not anything you or I had, but say yeah. you've got mummy issues, for example, you can get closer to recalling those mummy issues if you were skipping at the same time. So if I said, I want you to do 100 skipping while telling yeah. me why you're pissed off with your mum, this doesn't happen, I'm trying to use an example. You, you, the body remembers basically. That we are physical yeah. creatures. And so it's the well, I, that's how animals learn as well, right. in so a way. It's, it's the triangulation of the physical therapy, the group therapy, and the learning stuff that is the unique Hoffman process. The other unique thing is, which no one ever does, they spend tens of thousands of pounds going to the priory and psychotherapists and on drugs they don't need. And then they come back out an hour later and they're using their phones and everything. Hoffman cuts you off from your life completely for 10 days, nine, yeah. 10 days. I don't know how long it is now. It was 10 days mine was, yeah. Right. You're not allowed exercise. You're not allowed books. The men aren't even allowed to masturbate. You're the women either. Well, yeah, well they just assume that girls aren't <laughs> going to be strumming one out in a dormitory. But You're like Queen Victoria not thinking there's lesbians. No, no, Ladies don't masturbate. No, in a, the average girl I know doesn't strum one out in a dormitory because they can't wait two days. The no, we've got self-control. The average man I know does. I would say women have better impulse control, yeah. that's true. Let's I would also, yeah, when I arrived at the Hoffman, and a lot of people said to me, when you give in your laptop and your phone, some of my friends, and when I came out, and you are a bit irritating when you come out because you're very evangelical and a all. A bit irritating. <laughs> People wanted to punch me. Yeah. I was saying things like, you know, and you use this very forgiving, loving language. Yeah. But I would say things like, you know, I appreciate that you feel that way and I respect this and it didn't last that long. No, but, but you integrate it. So what, all the stuff you've learned integrates with you. What am I going to say to the charity, Marco, the charity? I've definitely done my bit. I've just got okay. back from Kenya and Uganda. He and also did, us. He and I also did a gig for Centrepoint the other week, so I've done my bit for homelessness and Africa. I always get a bit insulted when they don't approach me. Does that mean they think we're not good for it? I just look like I haven't got much to spare. I'm <laughs> dressed like a badly drawn boy from the noughties. But for me as well, I wasn't a very tactile person before I did Hoffman. Like I really? Particularly, I didn't like hugging and cheek kissing. It's not something I grew up with. And do you think that's changed? Since from that day to this, yeah, I hug everyone now, even people I've just met and fans at gigs and everyone, and double cheek kiss and it's just not. It's just I, yeah. can't, I can't believe it. It ever wasn't normal. There, there were people on that course, on my particular course, in their forties, that had been on antidepressants yeah. their whole lives. There was a man who turned up at the beginning of the week. Your typical sexist making the women feel uncomfortable sallow skin bags under the eyes angry you wouldn't want him for a boyfriend i've never seen the physical complex it was like someone switched part of his brain on and color came into his face he completely changed my particular issue that i was going it's no big secret yeah was i would just had a bit of a a temper that and when the flip did you not with people with stuff i've never Unfortunately, so what, what never, was the I've never like? even managed to have a fight with another man. But it, it was bad. It was like, uh, you lose your MacBook, lose your car window, kick your windscreen in level of, if it went, it went sort of thing, which doesn't fit with the rest of my personality. 
never against a person. Touch wood, I've never laid a finger on a person or an animal in, in my life. It was stuff. It, it was more directed against me. Right. The more valuable the thing was to me, including myself. I wasn't averse to an old fist in the wall. So self-harming, essentially. Which I would then have to cover up and pretend I'd fallen over and stuff. When I got into stand-up, when I got to 2007, 2008, and I was trying to, you know, I was getting nominated for the Perrier, I was getting exposure from TV, my relationship with Sadie was getting complicated. The pressure had got to something I'd never experienced in my life before, the emotional pressure. That's what stand-up brings to bear on you, an emotional pressure. And that's when things started to ramp up, you know. I thought, sooner or later, I'm gonna turn around and put my fist through glass or something, bloody kill myself or something like that. You know, like punch the wrong thing and hurt myself. Mm. And there was just one particular incident. All I hit was a bloody plate. It was, okay, it was over something ridiculous. I was never scared, like, I've never lived with a woman. It's like, you scare me, that it was always against me. I just hit a plate with my fist, but the way it broke, it, it cut me so badly, it scared me. And I was just like, that's, that's enough. So I, go, I, I, I was like a sort of anger management sort of thing. I suppose that's what I got wrong, which is weird because I'm never angry. There was just an article, Goldie talking about it, who I, I was into his music, about Hoffman. It's like for people that really like, are ready to make a change, not that want someone to do it for them that are really ready. And from that day, from the day I left in September 2009, not once, not once have I ever hit a single thing, not once. Really? Now that cannot be a coincidence. No. I, wasn't, I clearly wasn't gonna grow out of it. I was 35, it was getting worse. Well, I think what's interesting about well, that story you just said, and what I find that really, do you know, I find that really moving actually, because I feel that what it equips you with, and it's not a cure, it doesn't make you this perfect person who never has problems or no, doesn't get upset. you manage your reactions. You manage your reactions, exactly. So your responses to people and to situations, and that was obviously, you know, they also say, don't they, that you learn that Good boy, pretty much most of what you do and what defines your daily behaviour, you can trace back to patterns you've learned from your parents. Correct, yeah. And that's all they are is patterns. That's it. So as soon as you realise that. It's just, so, they, they totally lose their power. I mean, I'm still, I'm not allergic to a, to a door slam or a raised voice, but I think I, I'm not too harsh on myself. I still put that in the category of normal behavior. Every person slams yeah. a car door because of a parking ticket. I think you've got to give yourself a bit of leeway. No screen, no glass, no object. More important, no part of my skin has been broken since that day out of anger, which is mental. You would think there'd be at least one falling off the wagon. I know you've dealt with this a lot in your shows as well, but your parents, you came from, you've discussed, you know, you've talked about your background and Unbroken home, undivorced, unabused, never hit by my dad, school uniforms, holidays, pets. Yeah, okay, we live in the council street, but we bought our own council house that we then extended. My dad put a swimming pool in the back garden. Out of all my friends, we were the best off. There was nothing missing there. But my, my dad was just a, a negative, very negative man. And uh, so this, like, it's lucky for me, it's very funny. So like a traffic jam and the whole day's The traffic's the whole, it's one of those, one of them. If a glass of water gets spilt at dinner, whole meal ruined, trousers soaked. Every word, the maximum negative word it could be. 
Some kids would be like, it sounds to me like you had one of the best childhoods on the planet. There are people fishing uh, dysentery water out of a well in Rwanda. But for me, it obviously just had a profound effect on my inner monologue. You're, everything you try will fail. It will turn to shit. It will rain later. You will tread in dog shit. You will crash your car. It will break down. You will be ripped off. You will end up in debt just over and over and over and over and over and over and so over. So don't try. Just, no, try and uh, try. Definitely, and mi- no, no, quite worse. Mixed with a violent trying energy that never stops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a violent, try. constant hamster try. wheel effort. But no, yeah. it's never going to work yeah. out. Faster on the hamster wheel while slagging the hamster wheel off. <laughs> That's my dad's emotional model. So it never, it's never affected me. It's never affected my success. But obviously, somewhere embedded in me, when I can't find my when I can't find my house keys, for example, it flips that switch. Do you then go to a place where? The whole day's screwed, everything's gone wrong, I can't find the... Is that yeah, how yeah, you're... That, that, yeah, that starts, and it ends very quickly with a, a kicked-in Brabantia bin. What it used to. <laughs> Not anymore. Nice bin. You know the silver Brabantia know, bin with the kick mark? I know the Brabantia. Or the plasterboard hole in the wall that you have to then repair before you move out. You know. Hoffman um, is only nine days, but when I think back, it was like I was there about six months. It's so yeah. intense, like Big Brother house shit. And on the final day, I had the advert, the, um, the idea the advert, the idea for smoke screens and castles. I said, I'm going to do a show just about my dad this year. And I'm going to walk through my childhood house room by room and think of a routine that relates to each room. Living room, TV, bedroom, set, yeah. garage, cars. And that's what I did. So I won the Perrier off the back of the Hoffman. That's incredible. Mental, and, isn't it? and your life totally changed for you then? It did. It? It did. Like, Stand up when you're like me, like I started late. In fact, I started exactly the same as Frank Skinner at age 28. Really? And uh, so where I've been practicing my whole life and had this, it's a talent, isn't it? It's not, it's not arrogant to say it's a talent. Uh, obviously, I went a lot further, a lot quicker than most other guys who've been going for years. Then when I won the Perrier, I sort of jumped up and then it goes back down the other side temporarily. So you sort of get that initial success when you think that's it, I'm gonna, that's it, I'm the next Jack White, I'm going straight to the arenas. But for most of us, 90% of us, you have to then go back down and then do a slower climb up the next hill, which well, is what I'm doing at the moment. do you think it's a bit like when you graduate, which is how I relate to that, yes. or if you're not a stand-up? That's what it was like after the Perrier. So you made a yeah. few, I made a few BBC Three series. You're the, ne- you're the next big thing for a few years. Then that dies away. And then you have to work on, okay, what am I going to do now? Once I'm the, in my sort of Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton phase, I've got to get that. And that's what I'm working on at the moment. I've had a good run of it being the young bloke. So I thought, what, well... You, when you say Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton, you mean sort what, of... What's my long-term... What's Russell 2.0? Yeah, what's my long-term career? And what is I, Russell 2.0? I've, done, 2. I've done the Skinny Jean BBC Three. I've had a brilliant career out of it. I've done seven tours out of it. So I thought, I'm going to explicitly comb my hair and call it right man, wrong age, say, it's time to grow up. The time for pretending to be younger than you are is over. Uh, this is me. I've had a kid. It's time to grow up. And this here's, is the new tool, Here's my it? birth certificate. This is how old I am. I'm not scared of it anymore. And bang, of course, that's all very funny. And that's what's led to the... So, well, there's no dressing it up. It's the most successful tour I've ever done. Reviews-wise, commercially, do you everything. Think, and why do you think that is? No idea. It's... it's I'll tell you what it is. I've, I, out of the six or seven shows I've toured, I've got two types of show. Properly funny belly laugh, 
like McIntyre type show. Yeah. And then a kind of emotional, profoundy type, trying to be like Daniel Kitson type show. But the ones that are really good are the ones that have a bit of both. So Smoke Screens and Castles was, eh, that's my dad, that's probably funny, but then people cried at the end. Yeah. So of course when Minna was well, born. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. When Minna was born, I thought I can, yeah, it's my daughter, Minna. I thought, well, I'm going to do it again here. I've got enough stories with my dad I haven't used yet. So I literally just talk about my year of growing up and the baby being born. And I thought, there's so many shows about men talking about, oh, I've got a kid now, but no men talk about the emotional and psychological experience of pregnancy. I've never heard it. I've, they do a bit like, oh, and I couldn't stick my dick in because I thought the baby's head was going to touch my willy. And that's the only routine I've ever they heard. They do that, oh, what's it like seeing your favourite pub burn down? And then, you know. and they can't wait to get on to the jokes about, and then I was changing nappies, but who's ever stuck for an hour and talked about scans, male fears, breech birth, all the stuff that women talk about, yeah. men do have an opinion on it. They just keep their mouths shut for nine months because they're shitting themselves that they don't want to... Because obviously it's not really their journey. It's not their world. Or, or, they're, or, they, or they're sort of conditioned to think it's not their right, world. Right, but at the same time, men are having all these feelings. I thought, well, that's very, very funny. And I know the girls in the audience, when I start talking, will lean forward in their chairs, thinking, finally, we get to hear what a man yeah. really thinks about X, Y, Z. So that's what I did. I'm always looking for that angle. There's yeah. loads of shit about my dad in there, loads of shit about Lindsay. It's obviously I'm going to say it's funny, but I do think it's the funniest show. And so that do you think also, I mean, I would I would describe you as a feminist comic. Probably. Would you I, say that's fair? I think the word, unfortunately, has been ruined for a, a lot of sensible women that believe in quite reasonable things. Yeah. By a lot of keyboard warrior idiots. Yeah. Uh, I think real feminism is much more practical and hard work and doesn't really appeal to the uh, sort of regional dwelling column writing activist. Well, I think it's just respect, isn't it? That's sort of what it comes down to for me. So when we were talking earlier, coming back to our earlier conversation, so Russell Kane's Lecce Harvest, during that period of your life, when... I couldn't, <laughs> enjoy, I couldn't enjoy it if the woman was deceived about what was really going on. So if that makes me a feminist, then I am one. But then well, I think some men get off on the deception of they it. Do. Yeah, some do you like, think that's true? Like when I watch programmes like Geordie Shaw, yeah. they just want to get laid and then they do functional David Attenborough animal pumping. I'm like, what? It's clearly not about the sex because like, they sort of, they actually do it with a broken blank look on their face, like a junkie <laughs> just sticking the needle in just to get high. Some men, it's just a power trip. It, it's like a, a toddler completing the shape cube. But then in a way, <laughs> Whereas for me, I actually, it was about the connection of, I don't want to like turn into Luther Vandross or Barry White, <laughs> but it, it, I always, girl always would stay the night, always. Like I would never do a kind of, now get out. And why did you feel, I mean, with Lindsay, it obviously was different, wasn't it? And you just felt this well, is the just, right person for me. Saw it, well, I just saw her two or three times. And actually my instinct was, right, stop seeing and now you're falling into your old pattern. Right. And, uh, but once it got to the, once it had been three or four months, and I was still feeling the urge to see her. I was like, you're just sort of proving something to yourself now. Let's yeah. just go with this. Take it slowly and see what happens. Two years later, married. <laughs> but the main thing that's changed in the last year, this time last year, I got a serious commission for BBC Two and iPlayer called Stupid Man Smartphone. I go to really inhospitable parts of the earth, get dumped, and all I'm allowed is an iPhone with signal guaranteed and a different companion for each episode. We are then told on the first day, this is your mission. Episode three, 
I was being pursued by dogs at the old Soviet border. Right. I was with a YouTuber called Mazzy Maz, and we were staying in a, an abandoned building one night with only a fire made from old rubbish to keep us warm. There were dogs and sirens in the background. I'll never forget this moment. He turned to me and said, explain something to me, Russell. Why does none of your lot, like traditional stand-ups, yeah. put an iPhone on a tripod and perform stand-up down it and put it online? And I was like, well, it doesn't really work like that. We refine our stand-up for months and months. And it's, then we do it on Live at the Apollo and it's worth all this money. And obviously, who would come to see me on tour if they'd already heard it? He went, no, 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 no. He went, I'm not talking about that stuff. He said, I'm talking about pointing to the newspaper and saying, oh no, look, a pop star just got caught shagging behind a bin. Yeah. And just doing some stand-up about that. And uh, so I did the first one thinking, I'm going to get absolutely caned. slated here, caned. <laughs> Put it on my Facebook. I wrote to Mazzy Maz and, and I was like, oh, it's sort of working, but not working. He went, pick something that everyone's talking about and just talk about that and put it in the title. He yeah. explained our hashtags and all that work. So the next one I did Kim, was when Kim Kardashian had exposed herself to Bette Midler. She did a row with Bette Midler and Kim Kardashian got her family oh, and tits yeah, out. Yeah, I was like, yeah, there yeah, you go, yeah. bitch, shut up. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's quite funny. Imagine if that's how normal human beings dealt with conflicts. I don't write it, I improvise for 10 minutes. Do you? So you don't prepare any of that stuff? I might write, and while I'm in the shower, I might write a bullet yeah, right. down quickly. But you're, then, just, you're just riffing in the way that you yep, would. And yeah. then I just, the reason it looks like jump cuts is because I've got no choice. It's just my iPhone stuck to a window. Uh, cut it for an hour and post anywhere between two and three minutes. And, so, what, and is that doing really well for you? What I realised was if it's a trending subject that everyone's talking about, which unfortunately doesn't happen very often, it really goes wild. So I did one about the sugar tax. 800,000 people watched. Pokemon Go, two and a half million people. Two and, and a half million people watched Watched Pokemon it. Go. So I did it just because a 19-year-old told me to. A 19-year-old told me to go and film stand-up in my bedroom. And I thought every single person in the industry is going to go, oh my God, what, because you're not on TV, you're going to, you need to sell out and do stand-up. Quite the opposite. And now you've people got two and a half million like, people watching. I used to think you were shit. Oh, so we give them a go. And then Carol will be replying, let's get two tickets for Peterborough. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe this is the future, Russ. Because it seems to me you've got your tour, you've got your caning. Yeah. And do you think, like, is your life, is this, would you have looked into the future and thought this is exactly how I want my life to be? I never would have seen this coming with the the technology side of it. But now I'm just going to run with the caning stuff because it's led to all kinds of stuff. Question, I've been on Question Time. I saw you on Question Time. I thought you were really good. So it's now feeding back into the telly world. When you're on things like Question Time, when you're famous, I think people hear your name and then there's word associations that go with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they think Russell Kane and they Streaky think... Streaky hair twat from BBC Three. So you think that's what they think? I think that's what I did. Yeah. I don't think that's just... In, that is purely my fault. I, I got... Out of nowhere, I win this Perrier Award. They stick me on, like, the youth channel and I made a programme... Hold on. And uh, it was all like, it was a smashed up theatre. We, the, we were the gothy rebel brother of Live at the Apollo. So I dressed for the part, thinking I was getting it right. The eyeliner and skinny jeans. Yeah, I sort that. of went with it. I, I was having a great time. I didn't realise that people were thinking, it looked to other people like I was cynically changing my image because I was on, because I got a bit of publicity. Whereas in fact, what I was doing was like any actor or performer, I was dressing for the, Art, which I thought was what you're supposed to do. And I thought, oh, it's really cool. Everyone's going to think I'm really cool. I'm going to spike my hair up. I've never, you know, I've never given a shit about what I wear before. I, it, was no, it never went any deeper than that, like, m- like most people would think. But of course, because I'm a man, and I'm a man of a certain age, 
people didn't tolerate it and there was a bit of a backlash and that but it's worked in my favor now because now i can comb my hair and talk about the backlash <laughs> the biggest now that's your now. new show you know why i like talking to you you're honest yeah i got some stick for lying about my age but if anyone asked me what my age was i would always tell them well, all that happened was in one interview this person was like how old are you Russell? i went guess and and they said the age and i went go on put that and it started from there because obviously I, I look i look a little bit younger than my age i look a lot yeah. younger than my age I mean, people, people <gasps> sorry russ i've just died and gone to heaven is that a stop. norwich terrier is that hi, a norwich or a norfolk terrier it's a norfolk terrier oh brilliant hi norfolk terrier is that good dog knowledge or what that's very good it's knowledge. hard to tell a norfolk from a norwich they're very similar aren't they and the cairns the face yeah no i recognized him straight away oh Gertie, you actually look like you're green. <laughs> What's your dog called? Gertie. <laughs> well, I'm feeling like there's a bit of a, um, it's a bit upstairs, downstairs between Colin and Gertie. Yeah. Colin's the butler, isn't he, in Downton no. Abbey? No. <laughs> Gertie's the posh lady. Thought... <laughs> Gertie's the stable girl. Oh, Gertie. D Bye, Gertie. You're so cute. You're Lovely right. to meet you. Bye-bye. Now that is good dog breed knowledge. Come on. If, oh, I'm really impressed by that. If Respect. you look, if you look on my library shelf, you'll, I've got about three books of different dog breeds, and I went through a period of being obsessed with them, like as an adult, where I would just pour, where I wanted a dog so much, I would read the profiles of every dog breed. That'd be a good specialist subject for me. Anyway, so I was telling you, yeah. So when people guess my age, oh yeah, go on. Uh, like people I've just just met, they always think I'm about ten years. It's getting the older I get the younger the guest is getting. So a few years ago, people would think I was like two or three years younger than I was. Then when, well, the article where, you know, I should have corrected the person didn't, it was five years. Now, when I meet people, they think I'm about 30 or something, 31, 32. So uh, can I, uh, how old are you? 41. Well, you look great. And what it is, is I've got too much, uh, lucky for me, I've got the benign version, which just is what most people would call double jointed. So I'm obviously unusually flexible for, for a man of my age. The giveaway sign that it's not just flexible is though my feet are completely flat. I have to wear- What, like Shrek sort of thing? Yeah, I have to wear orthotic implants. Really thick- That's a Shih Tzu, isn't Unusually it? thick hair. He's a bit angrily Shih Tzu, this guy. <laughs> is that? Is he? Let's see. Oh, he's, he's really not happy. Hi, uh, Colin. Hello. Hi, Shih Tzu, don't you no, cross, we'll don't we'll do, No, we'll do a walk-by, oh, I think, on that one. That's not enough. I spotted that. See, I, I can read dogs. What, what did you read there? Tell me what happened. Body language was aggressive. The feet were forward. The head was forward. It was aggressive. You could tell from back there. And I went diving in and he yeah. barked. Yeah, because he, and also he's got a fringe down. So he might just been being defensive. But and I had sunglasses on. That is a dog. I can almost guarantee. What's, what's his story, that dog? He's he got sleeps a lot of on anger. the bed and he's allowed on the sofa. Guaranteed. Well, I was going to do both those things with my dog, but maybe I shouldn't. Why can I not allow the dog on the bed? Because once the dog is has the same authority level as you, if someone comes in and oversteps what considers his mark, it's his flat, not yours, and that's how kids get bitten and shit like that. And do you think that's why that Shih Tzu that yeah, that, that, was that, really the aggressive? Leader. That was leading the walk, not her. He was in charge of the walk. So he gets to decide what is and isn't allowed. Very, very dangerous, particularly with the small dog. They're down at children height, you know. Why don't you do a dog program? <laughs> you know so much about them. Yeah, so I've got flat feet. So I've also. Oh, yeah, so we go back at, to the. Um, my skin's a bit implanted. stretchier than it should, should be. So yeah. I've just. Uh, well, this is great news for your daughter. So if you look on my face, there's not many lines. There's not any for, lines. For a I man thought, I've got to be honest, I thought you had Botox. How can. Look, look at that when I go like that. No, but you've got lines. And I do that. 
Botox free. So you look super young. So congratulations. Uh, but on when this. I was younger, I just, I, I just looked my age. But when I got to 27, 28, and still getting ID'd, I just kept going with it. So what happened was, someone said, "What's your real age?" I go, "Oh yeah, I'm this age," and I'd find it hilarious. Yeah. So I was, I didn't really, I wasn't very good at keeping a secret. I wasn't very Paloma about it. So <laughs> people were seeing That's Paloma, Paloma Faith, Faith she you should say, who famously fibs about her age. Paloma says the same as me. She's like, "What's the big deal, man? Everyone does it." And uh, people were looking at my sudden change of hairstyle, sudden change of clothes, fibbing about my age. I were like, oh my God, all that stuff about his dad, none of it. He obviously is not a genuine person after all. I think oh, that's yeah. what happened, I think. And if I hadn't nipped it in the bud quickly with a complete self-awareness and taken it head on, I think I could have had a problem. But I didn't, I was like, great. If that's what everyone thinks, brilliant. There's a f great show in that. Right man, wrong age. Let's take it on the road. Do you know what I start to think as I get older? And I don't know about you. Sorry to bring up getting older, Russ. But as I get older, I think people will accept anything yeah. if you're honest. Yeah. I mean, I say that. I think if Rose West Except was honest, they'd still no. hate her. And chlamydia, that doesn't yeah, work Yeah, chlamydia, either. that's not so great. I've definitely got chlamydia. <laughs> no, if and you tell no... me beforehand, I don't mind. No, well, that's unusual. Give me... <laughs> <laughs> what had, a lovely way things I've had to a very this on. I've had a very different reaction. It's definitely syphilis. <laughs> Do you know what? I respect your honesty, not, not the normal reaction. Cool. Ross, I've really enjoyed our walk. Did you enjoy it? It's been amazing. You've got some stuff out of me that I honestly have never spoken about before. I haven't got a Is key. this the right house? It's definitely yes. <laughs> Russell, this isn't your house. I hope you enjoyed walking the dog. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Otherwise, no treats for you.